Well, the rest of us this morning are going to be talking about debt. Sound exciting? Well, before you head for the door or before you reach for a sharp object, given that it is two weeks before Christmas and you might be feeling the uh, effects of more and more debt, uh, I want to say right up front, it's going to be debt in a positive sense. The sermon title is When Debt is Worship. And so we're going to talk about when debt is worship. Kind of sounds like a billboard. Uh, maybe we should have done this uh, sermon series right before the Sunday before Black Friday. Would have been a good marketing technique for the church. Could have put billboards all around Omaha when debt is worship. Omaha Bible Church. And uh, Man, Best Buy would have had even more cars in their parking lot. All of these people ready to go just to incur more and more debt. After all, debt is worship. Well, maybe that kind of debt is worship, but it's not the kind of debt we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about debt in another sense, and I want you to listen to this quotation, and perhaps it will make more sense. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Yes, we all as Christians need to know that we are indebted And we should embrace this kind of debt, and this is the debt that would call us to love other people. So maybe not exactly what you thought it was going to be, but in light of the fact that we're talking about biblical Christianity, I suppose it's not a huge surprise. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10 will be our text, and that's actually what I was reading from, Romans 13, 8. If you have a Bible, you want to go ahead and turn there. And really, it's laid out rather simply. Romans 13, verse 8 gives us a command to love. And then Romans 13, 8, all the way down to verse 10, tells us really why. Why Christians are called to love, why we should feel a sense of obligation that will never go away, a debt, if you will, an obligation to be loving other people. So that's what we'll be talking about this morning. We had some microphone troubles earlier. I don't know if you can hear very well. Can you, can you hear me? Okay, I went to the other microphone. I do know, since I brought it up, if you have a hard time hearing, as some of you do in the auditorium, if you move to a different place, sometimes it helps. And uh, I know some, even in the very front, sometimes it's hard to hear because of different things. So we're working on it. Um, but don't think that it's just you and you have to stay where you are. Um, find a different spot and you might be able to hear better. And uh, hopefully that helps. All right, Romans 13, we find the command in verse 8. It's the one I just read, and I'll invite you to go ahead and look at that one more time with me, where it says, Oh, no one anything, that is a command, except, here's the exception, to love each other. And we probably don't catch it right away, but he's purposely using a play on words to get our attention, because just before this, he was talking about how we owe respect and how we owe the government our taxes and those kinds of things. And so just to kind of to, to catch the flavor of what he was doing in the argument, go back to verse 7 of Romans, uh, Romans 13, which is about government and our responsibilities. We looked at that the last time we were in Romans. And he says there in verse 7, Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owed, And then we come right to verse 8, although he's changing topics, owe no one anything except to love each other. So in a debt sense, he says, owe no one anything, but that's not even really what he's talking about. What he's talking about in this context would be love. 
So we're going to talk about love this morning, but maybe first we need to talk about what it doesn't mean. What verse 8 doesn't mean, because many sermons have been preached, uh, anti-debt sermons based upon verse 8. And really, we should see, according to the context, that's not really even the gist of what he's getting at. Um, so I'm not going to preach an anti-debt sermon this morning. Um, but even so, let's make sure that we pay scriptural attention to, to what, he, what he doesn't mean when he says what he says in verse 8. I want to go on record as saying I personally think that it's naive to, to take this verse and to therefore conclude that debt is always wrong. And I want to say I think it's naive, and I'm, I mean it in a respectful sense, but I think it's naive because Scripture actually talks about the virtue of lending money to people. Okay, I'll quote one verse. should be enough because Jesus said it. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, Jesus said, Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And that's in keeping even with the spirit of the Old Testament. You know what? If somebody needs to borrow from you, don't refuse them. Well, now all of a sudden we're okay with debt of some kind. We start working our way through the Old Testament and you do have borrowing. You do have uh, lending. What you don't have or what's forbidden would be something called usury which is where you charge uh, interest rates that are extraordinarily high and unreasonable, taking advantage of people. Those kinds of things are forbidden in the Old Testament. But borrowing and lending money is not forbidden. And so that doesn't seem to be the idea of what he's getting at here. He seems to be getting at borrowing or, or being indebted to someone in a, in a, in a sense that you're, you're not ethical in your responsibilities. The NIV captures the idea. It's not a very literal translation. It's interpretive, which is what the NIV does. It's, again, not a great study Bible because it's interpreting it for you, but it it's, sometimes has good interpretations. The NIV puts it this way. Let no debt remain outstanding. See, that would be unethical, except, to continue, except the continuing debt to love one another. That really seems to capture the idea, and many Bible scholars have said, indeed, if you look at all of the Scripture, that must be what he has in mind, lest Paul be contradicting Jesus here. So, we're not going to talk about that this morning, per se, um, but I at least wanted to mention it so that we might have maybe a better understanding. So, what, do, what does he mean? Well, again, as he says in verse 8, Oh, no one anything. Well, as one scholar put it, don't continue owing. Um, pay your debts, in other words. So again, if my house payment is $1,000 or $5,000 or $500 or whatever it might be, you know what? I have a responsibility to take care of that responsibility. I need to be ethical and act Christianly would be the idea there. If you have a car payment, you make your car payments. It's not saying you can never borrow any money. If you have an ER bill from the state of Florida and you pay it every month for the last year, oh wait, that's me. Um, <laughs> You need to go ahead and make those payments until it's all done, which I think after about a year it's all done. Praise be to God. <laughs> it's not saying that it's wrong to borrow money, but you keep your obligations and you have ethical responsibilities in keeping them. But there's one huge exception. There's one debt that you never pay off. And it's here in verse 8 where it says, except to love each other. That's the whole point of the passage to begin with. There is one debt that you should never think in your mind that you're going to pay it all off. Don't ever expect to get a letter in the mail saying, Congratulations, your obligation has been met. 
enclosed, you will find the title. Okay? Like we do with cars. It's, you'll never expect to have that when it comes to your Christian living. As a matter of fact, you'll always, always, always keep loving. And if you want to think of it in terms of payment, then that's the terms you think of it in. Sometimes Christian Bible teachers get... They're careful about it, and I understand. I, I appreciate this. Think of one Bible teacher that emphasizes again and again, we need to not think of our relationship to God in terms of debt. So we shouldn't have the debtor's ethic, thinking we need to pay God back, pay God back, pay God back. And generally speaking, I'm all for that mindset. You'll never pay back what God has done for you in Christ. It can never be done. But I'm going to come a little bit short of saying we should never think of our relationship uh, to God in terms of debt. I'm going to come a little short of that because that's what Paul's doing here. There is a place for thinking, you know what, I'm so glad for what God has done for me in Christ. I'm so glad that I do have an obligation now to my fellow believers and fellow human beings. And I'm always and forever going to be making payments on this one. He uses debt. So I guess we should be okay with that. I'm so grateful. I'm so filled with gratitude that I'm going to keep paying. Not to earn salvation or anything like that. But he uses debt, so I think we'll go ahead and think of it in those terms as well. At least I'm going to do that. Now, I just want to remind you of what I remind you of again and again and again, and that's the context of Romans. Please keep this in the context of the way Romans is laid out. Please don't take this obligation to love other people and somehow put it out of context in Romans. Right? Remember, Romans begins with condemnation because we're lawbreakers and we don't love the way we should. We don't love God the way we should. We don't love our neighbor as we should. And so the conclusion is we're in trouble. We can't do this. We're already guilty. There's already just condemnation. And so that, that's where Christ comes in. And Christ comes in and Christ fulfills the law and Christ loves God the Father the way He should and Christ loves His neighbor the way He should. And now, because of His work on our behalf, we stand reconciled to God, right? So remember, this is Romans 13 coming after 11 chapters of explaining how Christ paid the whole thing for us. So we don't start thinking, if I just do this, and if I just pay, and if I can just do enough, and if I can just do enough philanthropy, if I can just do enough loving, then God will accept me. No, right? We're accepted in Christ, in the Beloved. There is therefore now no condemnation, as we sang this morning. And then we get to that Romans 12.1, which I know I keep repeating. And guess what? Next time we're in Romans, I'll bet I repeat it again. Because everything on this side of Romans 12 is supposed to be worship out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving. And so here we are because it was all of Christ, everything that He did for us, Romans 1-11, to in response to that, it's as if we say, God, then what would you have me to do? God, in light of what you've done for me, you've done everything for me, I now stand before you uh, as if I'm perfect even though I'm not based upon the perfection of Christ. God, what would be appropriate? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice which is your reasonable service of worship. In other words... Worship Him with your whole life. Oh, now I'm going to start telling you how to do that. 
honor the government. That's worship. As odd as that might seem. And you're so glad that you're willing to do that. God has established authority. Oh, and now, how about love your neighbor as worship, Christian worship, because of what Christ has done. Now I want to do the right thing. We've got to keep it in the right order or we really have a different religion. And so what's reasonable? What's reasonable is that we would now love each other because God has loved us in Christ. Romans 5.8, God shows His love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. It had nothing to do with our loving other people because we didn't do that. That's why Christ died for us. Romans 5.1, we've been justified by faith, faith in Christ. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you keep Romans 13 and the commands of Romans 13 on the right side of the equation. All of Christ, Romans 1 to 11. Now, how should we fittingly respond? Worship, whole life. Okay, God, get more specific. Love other people. Never stop loving other people. In that sense, you're imitating me because of my great love that I showed for sinners like you, Pat. And so it's a pretty straightforward message not very complicated at all. Here's what I wrote down for myself, just as far as comprehension. So now, in light of God's love for me in Christ, out of gratitude and as an appropriate act of worship, I do what this great saving God asks. And when it comes to relationships, He asks me to love other people. Okay. Now, I suppose I should pause and say, okay, time out. What, what, is, what does it mean to even love other people? Well, that means to, be, to, fee, to think happy thoughts about them. Okay, ready now? Let's think happy thoughts about each other. No. <laughs> love in the New Testament, again and again and again, big, inclusive word, but we can draw some very strong conclusions about it. It deals with sacrifice. That God loved us and what did He do? Thought happy thoughts about us. No, that God loved us and He therefore gave His unique Son. There was sacrifice. You know me, I like to say it and I'll keep saying it again and again and again. There's only one thing that ever cost God anything. He's the Creator. He speaks things into being. It costs Him nothing to create. The one thing that ever cost God anything was the giving of His Son in the context of love. So if I'm called to love you, and you're called to love me, we're called to love believers, unbelievers, because he's going to use neighbor in this passage, having nothing to do with street addresses. Neighbor, those in need. That means there's going to be sacrifice involved. It's going to cost me something. It may cost money. It may cost time. It may cost who knows what. But Christian love, Christian love is costly love. It's going to seek your, your benefit above my own. That's Christian love. So we naturally think about ourselves. That's just what we do and who we are. It's the way we're made even. That gets skewed because of sin. Like 2 Timothy 3 talks about because of corruption, people are lovers of self. That's a bad thing. But naturally, we just take care of ourselves. So I need to take that and translate that into my relationship with you. All right. I don't know what's in it for me, but that's not the point. It's what's in it for you. 
And we'll talk more about this at the end, about some application and how application is concerned. But let's at least for now realize and know, God says, in light of my great love for you in the gospel, Romans 1 to 11, I gave my son for you. What I want you to do is I want you to love other people. This is reasonable worship. This is easy to understand, really hard to do. Right? Really, 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 really hard to do. Because at the end of the day, if we loved each other, we would have no problems. And the challenge is we're supposed to love each other even where there are major problems. We'll talk more about that in just a little while. With me so far? I need a breath. <sighs> or something. And amen. Are you feeling your inner Baptist? Come on. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, my fellow Presbyterians. Um, <laughs> this is all simple. Love each other. But it's not so simple to do, and we're going to talk more about that even now. The latter part of this text, verses, the latter part of verse 8, 9, and 10, he's going to talk about uh, the reason for this, why God would say this, and why this is the Christian thing to do as worship. And so let's start working our way through it. Verse 8 continues on with, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now that is huge. Probably going to say more about this in just a little while, but just in case I forget, remember, this isn't anything new. This isn't just a New Testament truth. This is actually an Old, tra Old Testament reality as well. Remember, Jesus, even when He's cornered, and He says, you know, and they say, what is the greatest commandment? Well, he, he just summarizes all of our responsibility from A to Z by saying, love God, love your neighbor. So this isn't some new uh, way of summarizing things. Jesus summarized it, and it's on the, other, uh, it's on the, the before the cross side of things. We're going to see in Leviticus, actually, this is exactly what Leviticus teaches in the Old Testament. So, why should we love? Because if you love, you have fulfilled the law. And let's talk about a couple of reasons why this is great. If you love, you fulfill the law. This is great because it simplifies everything, right? Sometimes it's hard for me to remember the Ten Commandments. I mean, I went to public school, right? And as I like to say, man, that's, there's kind of a lot to it there. And then there's all the elaboration on all of those. And you've got literally hundreds of, of commands from the Old Testament, hundreds of, of commands because there's so many different ways to look at things and apply things. This is great because it simplifies the whole thing. On a horizontal plane, you don't need to memorize anything other than one word. What's the word? See, you guys all went to private schools. <laughs> you can even follow me. <laughs> it's just love. It simplifies everything. You want to know what God wants of you? This would be true for, for everyone. You want, you want to know how to fulfill the law? Very, very, very simple to understand. I didn't say simple to do. Simple to understand. Love. Really, really straightforward. Couldn't be more straightforward. He elaborates on this. Let's go ahead and look at the elaboration before we talk about another reason this is great. In verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, 
So he's very, very inclusive in that. He gives a sampling of four, and then he just says, okay, and any other one are summed up in this word. Look what he says. He just repeats it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. Quoting Leviticus 19.18. This is Old Testament truth. It's, it's, it's all right there, just in love. And just for the sake of understanding, let's even see if this really holds to be true. Let's look at each of the four he mentions and see if that's really true. You shall not commit adultery. Can you really say, well, that just could be substituted by saying love? Yeah. If I commit adultery, I'm not loving my wife. I'm not loving my children. I'm not loving the person I commit adultery with. I'm not loving their husband if they're married. I'm not loving their children if they have children. I'm not loving people around me who I'm supposed to be an example for. It's not the loving thing to do. It might feel good at the time, but that's not what we're talking about. It wouldn't be loving at all. So it certainly works there. How about here? You shall not murder. Well, that one's kind of obvious, even for people like me, right? If you murder someone, you don't love them. And if you love someone, you'll never murder them. Pretty straightforward. Um, (laughs) You wouldn't even get close to that. If I'm busy loving someone, I'm not going to harm them. Okay, you shall not steal. That's pretty straightforward as well. Okay, if I love you and seek your best interest, I'm not going to take your stuff, right? (laughs) It's just really, really straightforward. And what's interesting is there's, you know, by now... Books and books and books and books and dissertations and dissertations and dissertations and uh, theses and and on and on it goes about the implications and ramifications of this great love command and the Ten Commandments. And you can even think about this on a broader scale. You know, you're not loving people if you steal. We say it's no big deal because I just take stuff from Target. And that's sticking it to the man. Well... (laughs) Well, what about people who have ownership? Right? You're stealing from them. What about the fact that even on a broader cultural level, when I steal, that sounds bad, I won't even say it. If I steal from Target, that means in the long run, you pay more when you go to Target because you got to recoup the cost somewhere. I'm not showing love for other people when I would steal. So this makes sense as well. You shall not covet would be another one. He uses the word here for lust. So I don't lust after other people's stuff or even their relationships. It's used that way in the Bible as well. I don't have the mindset that says, you have something great and I deserve it, you don't. Instead, if I love you, I say, you have something great, I'm glad for you. This is great that you've been blessed in this way. I'm showing love in that sense. So each one of these really is upheld by the logic. And yeah, each one of these could be love. Verse 9 says, summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he puts it in the negative in verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Great because it's simple. It just covers everything. I don't need to give you a lot of different rules. I can just say love. And you'll know what God wants. It's great for another reason. It's great because we actually can, by the grace of God, have this be true and love each other. And by loving each other, we can see the law fulfilled because, please don't miss this, Christ has already gone before us and fulfilled the law on our behalf. That's really what makes all of this so great. 
Okay? Think with me about this, and I want you to write down three passages that will help you understand this in a distinctly Christian way. I said this is great that if you love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. It's great only because of Calvary. It's great only because of the gospel. It would not be great at all if I were to say to you, all right, let's just take the cross away, erase the cross, get rid of the work of Christ, get rid of the perfect life of Christ, get rid of the resurrection, get rid of all of it. And if I said, okay, if you love your neighbor, you fulfilled the law. Where can I get some Prozac? Where can I get some Zoloft? Where can I find some sharp, sharp objects? And where is the closest bridge I can jump off of? If you love your neighbor, you fulfill the law? You see, this isn't great at all. <laughs> because I don't love my neighbor the way I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Right? Just as I don't love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't do that. This is, this is not good news at all. This isn't great at all. This is horrible. But if we keep this command on the other side of Calvary, because of what Christ has done for us, and because we are united to Him, and because we have the indwelling Spirit in us by God's grace, this is great. In light of Calvary's shadow, this is great. This is what we're made for. This is what we're designed for. This is what we're saved for, to love each other so that things now look the way they're supposed to look before sin enter, entered into the equation. Okay, let's look at some texts. I said three texts, actually four texts. Let's, if you just want to jot these down, and I just gave you the preview of what I want you to see in Scripture, but let's go ahead and see this actually grounded in Romans in the text. If you go to Romans 3.20, Romans 3.20, I guess we'll go one, one text outside of Romans, Matthew 5.17, then Romans 8, then Romans 5. What I'm trying to help you see is why we can see and say, if you love your neighbor, you fulfilled the law. Why? That's a great thing. It's a great thing because of what Christ has done for us. Otherwise, it would never be a possibility. If you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For by works of the law... Well, we already know how to summarize the works of the law. It's love. Love God, love neighbor. So, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. If you're thinking, oh, this is such great news, all I have to do is love and God will accept me. It's not great news. <laughs> it's not great news at all. It's a, it's a good law because that's how God made it. But by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be. Because what does the law do? The law just says, Pat Abendroth, you are one big selfish sinner. And it's been shown yet again. All I ask you to do is to love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Translation, treat me like I'm God. Oh, and on the horizontal level, just treat other people the way you would treat yourself. I'm smoked. And this is the argument of Romans 1, 2, 3. It's not great news that we should love our neighbor. And if you just love your neighbor, everything will be fine. 
It's not great news at all. It's condemning news because I'm a sinner and I've already messed it all up. Text number one, Romans 3.20. Text number two, Matthew 5.17. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is why it's great. We're warming up now. I stand condemned under the law, and so do you. Christ comes not to get rid of that law, loving God, loving neighbor. Christ comes to fulfill that law. This is where it gets exciting for us because He's our great Savior who's worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship, worthy of our devotion because He met the obligation for us. He fulfilled the law. And so we are grateful for that. Text number 3, Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There was condemnation because I'm supposed to love and I don't love. But now, because of Christ's work, there is no condemnation to those who are, please make sure you know those last two words, to those who are in Christ Jesus those who are in Christ Jesus, that means we're united with Christ, the law keeper, the one who loved perfectly. And now, by faith in Christ, I'm united with Christ. It's as if I was the perfect law keeper because I'm in Christ. All right, we're on to something. This is all making more Christian sense. It's allowing us to keep the command to love on the other side of the cross, the other side of the Romans argument in Romans chapter 13. One more text, Romans 5, 5. Romans 5, 5, regarding the love of God shown to us in Christ to make all of this even make more sense. And it says in verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love in the gospel poured imagery of abundance. God's love is poured into our hearts, as it says right there, through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So, I stand before God as if I'm a perfect law keeper, as if I fulfill the law, because Christ did fulfill the law on my behalf, and I'm in Him. And God's love has been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. Now, in light of being a Christian, I'm called to love you. You're called to love me. I'm called to love other people. We're called to love others. You know what? Now... Because Christ has fulfilled the law for us and we're in Him. In a practical sense, now we are fulfilling the law. We're acting like who we are in Christ. Not only that, this this love that's been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit is now the, the source, if you will, of me loving you. And you loving me. And me loving my Christian friends and my non Christian friends. This is not something I've conjured up. It's now mine by virtue of my union with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who then enables me to love supernaturally because of my relationship to Christ. And you say, this seems really complex. It's really not complex. In one sense, it would be very simple if we were just to say, okay, lock the doors. We're going to read all of Romans now and talk about it. But I'm belaboring the point to make sure we understand that we're on this side of Calvary, 
We're not over here trying to be our own law keepers. And if we just love each other enough, and we just love each other enough, we just love each other enough, then eventually God will, will fulfill the law and God will accept us. No, 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 no. Remember Christ. Remember Christ. Remember Christ. Early chapters of Romans. He's done that for us. We're in Him. And now we are free to do what we're supposed to do. Love each other. Through the power of the Spirit. This is why, like in Galatians chapter 5, you'd have the fruit of the Spirit being love. It's not something that we're doing to earn the favor of God. Christ has earned the favor of God for us. We're responding with appropriate gratitude We're loving each other. We're loving each other because that's fitting. So then and only then do I want to understand verse 8 that says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Well, yeah, in light of what Christ has done in fulfilling the law and I'm in Him, this is true. And practically now in my life it's true. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. See, apart from the gospel, that would not be great. But because of the gospel, now We're free to do what we're supposed to do. Do we do it perfectly? No. We're still plagued by sin and troubled by sin. Even Galatians 5 talks about that. But we're now in Christ doing what we're created to do, what we're meant to do. Now for some application. It's all easy so far. It's all theoretical. Hey, thanks, Pastor. That helps. Got some good theological knowledge. I'll run with that. And then somebody complains. I wish he gave more application in his preaching. No, you don't. (laughs) Because it's way easier when we just have theoretical knowledge. The rub, the burn sometimes is when it's in application because we're going to learn a profound truth and now it's call to action and now maybe it gets a little more uncomfortable. But this is really what we want to do. We want to be doers of the word by God's grace, not only hearers, as James talks about. I just wrote down five points of of application, some theological, some very practical, but all applicable that might be helpful to you, and we'll end on these five. Number one, biblical Christianity is not anti-law. Biblical Christianity is not anti-law. It's a theological point, but it's applicable because sometimes we get accused of being anti-law. Because we go, grace, 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 grace. And I'm all for doing that. But that doesn't mean we're anti-law. We say Christ fulfilled the law. This is amazing. The law is good because it shows me what a sinner I am. The law is good because it comes from God. The, The law is good. Christ fulfilled the law for me. And I am in Him. And now I want to do what He says. And He says, I want you to now love other people. Which, by the way, is a way to summarize the law. So I want to be that kind of person. We're not through 11 chapters of how it's all Christ, all Christ, all Christ, all Christ. Therefore, your living doesn't matter. Technically, that's called antinomianism, anti-law. We should not be antinomian. We're on this side of Romans 11, this side of the cross, and he says you've got an ongoing, never-to-be-satisfied payment plan. Love each other. Live practically like you already are positionally in Christ. That's all. 
So we shouldn't feed that false notion um, that Christianity is anti-law. We shouldn't be legalists by saying it's our loving, our works, and Jesus, and then God will accept us. Oh, no, 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 no. It's all Him. But because we've been transformed, we've had the, the love of God poured into our hearts through the power of the Spirit. Hey, we should be loving each other. Okay, let's move on to another. Number two, remember where Romans 13 occurs. Remember where Romans 13 occurs and keep it Christian. Don't make Romans 13 an anti-Christian command, a sub-Christian command. Remember, light of the cross, we then want to fulfill the law because it's already been fulfilled for us in Christ. Practically, we want to be loving. If we confuse it and we put it on the other side or we put it over here, then we have another religion. It's not Christian at all. We do not love because it earns the favor of God. We love because we have the favor of God secured by us, for us, by Christ. Key word for me is gratitude. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Number three, in this life, we'll never be done loving others. In this life, we'll never be done loving others. I don't think we'll ever be done in the next life either. Who wrote that point? And for my own soul, just to have it in black and white, I wrote this down. Because our obligation to love perfectly has been met by Christ, our expression of gratitude for it will never stop. Because our obligation to love perfectly has been met by Christ, our expression of gratitude for it will never stop. If you think it will stop in keeping with the debt motif, think of me as a collections agent today. I'm knocking on your door. Pay up. You should love other people. This is a fitting, reasonable expression of gratitude because of what Christ has done for you. Because sometimes, as Christians think in their mindset, well, you know what? I've been loving a lot. But now it's time just to be on the receiving end. Oh, you've been on the receiving end. (laughs) Right? The love of God has been poured forth into your heart. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've received all of this. What's reasonable and what's supernaturally natural is that you would love other people. I've literally heard people say, you know, we did that in our younger years as Christians, and now we're just going to sit back and be on the receiving end. And I'm going, debt collector. (laughs) I don't think so. This is the one that never ends. We're going to keep loving each other. We're going to keep loving each other. We're going to keep loving each other because we're so amazed with gratitude of God's love for us. So by virtue of who we are in Christ, Having been saved, justified, we want to respond in love. It's a reasonable service. Romans 12.1 Just so you know, I put a smiley face in my notes. So, <laughs> I'm a smiling collection agent at your house. Armed, but smiling. <laughs> okay? 
This is who we are. And if you're having a hard time with it, again, I just would invite you to make sure you're living under that shadow. Spend time living in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, and you'll see the greatness and the beauty of the grace of God, the love of God in Christ, and it's fitting then to say, what should I do now, God? I'll just love. Number four, loving others has nothing to do with their worthiness. Loving others has nothing to do with their worthiness. This is the one that's the hardest for me. Since I'm the one on the couch and you're the counselors. (laughs) This is the hard one. Loving others has nothing to do with their worthiness. Or we might say their response. Their appropriate response. This is where it's tough for me. And I know if it's tough for me, it's probably tough for some of you who are like me. Here's how the scenario plays out. I do something for someone that I think is, it's an act of sacrifice, it's an act of Christian love, Christian charity, and the response is positive. And I feel good about it. And I want to do that again. Other scenario, do something genuine, something nice, something that costs. I get zero response. My response to the zero response is, I don't think I'll be doing that again. Or I get a negative response and people don't give me the time of day the next time I see them. Well, I'd like to not only not do that again, I would actually like to do something negative. Right? This is how we work. I was just telling, I've told a couple of friends about this recently, of, of an opportunity, a great opportunity to show Christian love. And I'm excited about it, reaching out, uh, just doing my very best by the grace of God to show Christian love. And I said, the true test because I know the perversity of my own heart, because it's not yet fully sanctified. I said, the true test is if and when they totally reject. Because my knee, knee, my, what did I say? My re-nerk, my knee-jerk reaction, my natural reaction is to, to write them off. Or return the favor and be a jerk to them. Just how I'm wired. The real test is going to be, if and when they reject, then how will I respond? This is where the rubber meets the road for us, even as a Christian church, for us. Okay, we're supposed to love each other. Yeah, say, I tried that, but those people aren't very loving in return. I'm out of here. You don't get it. Okay? And I'm admitting I don't get it either, but I'm just saying you don't get it. Smiley face in the notes. <laughs> okay? You don't really get the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it at all. And He did it, regardless of the appropriate response. So, my friends, if we're going to be Christ-like and having the love of God poured into our hearts through the power of the Spirit, and now we are going to imitate that love and response to God. We're going to love and sacrifice for others, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the appropriate response. Now, maybe it has something to do with it, because we want them to act like Christians and respond appropriately, so we want that to happen. We're not, we're not just indifferent. We're going to pray for an appropriate response. 
But think about this. This is pretty radical stuff because our whole system is based upon I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back. But that's not distinctly Christian. Christian is I'm going to act like Jesus acted in sacrifice and that's love. This is what we're praying for. This is what we're aiming for. This is what we're looking for. This is what changes everything. This is distinctly, distinctly, distinctly Christian. I know I don't... Did I, did I ever say this? I know I don't do this. <laughs> okay. Just, hello, my name is Pat, and I have a problem doing this. And I know you don't either. Not naturally. But supernaturally, by the power of the Spirit, and our salvation, I'm so glad our salvation doesn't depend upon this, because I'd be smoked. Okay? And so would you. But because of what Christ has done, because our salvation cannot be forfeited, it cannot be lost, because the law has been fulfilled for us, we, in an imitating kind of way, are seeking to fulfill the law by loving others. (coughs) Pray about how that will happen in your life. This is tangible. This is real. This is, as you leave today, this is in the cube you type in tomorrow. This is in your neighborhood. This is in your family. This is with your kids. This is with your mom and dad. This is here in this church. This is everywhere. And it really would set us apart. Finally, number five, loving others is an act of worship to God. Loving others is an act of worship to God. Keep it in a Romans context. It's in Romans 13, which is on the other side of Romans 12, which calls us to worship, which is everything on the other side of Romans 12 is the how-to. So typically I think of worship, you know, good worship for me might be, I'm going to be at home with a hymnal singing, a mighty fortress is our God. That would be nice, just to be alone and just sing to God and worship or maybe something in a group where we can worship together musically. That's worship. And it is. But it encompasses this much of the whole. Maybe more than that, but it encompasses, my point, is only a piece of the pie. Because remember Romans 12, 1 and following. Right? In light of the gospel, present your bodies, present all of you, right? As a, as a fitting sacrifice, a reasonable sacrifice of worship. And so then he starts unpacking what that looks like in Romans 12 and Romans 13, Romans 14, Romans 15, Romans 16. And on the list of how-tos, how to worship God, love your neighbor. You say, it doesn't really feel like worship to me. Well, I'm with you. But we don't think about worship the right way. We're acknowledging the great worth of God as our great and amazing Savior who gave Himself for us to redeem us. How about God? Now I actually am loving other people the way I didn't love other people before. You indeed are great. It's worship. You say, man, I'm so tired of loving other people who don't respond appropriately. I just want to go be with other Christians and worship. I hear you. (laughs) 
And there's something greatly refreshing about gathering together with other believers. But both are worship. Because you're appropriately responding to God out of gratitude for what He's done for you in Christ. That's all. That sounds wrong. That's all? Yeah, that's everything! (laughs) Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Charles Spurgeon said, I am told that Christians do not love each other. I am very sorry if that be true, but I rather doubt it. For I suspect that those who do not love each other are not Christians. No, I like the way Jesus said it better than Spurgeon. Hope you do too. But essentially, they're saying the same thing. This is who we are. Not to earn our way, but because Christ has earned our way, we want to honor Him. And we do that by loving each other. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning and for rich times together. And we confess before you that we are not where we should be. We even know enough to know we never will be where we should be until we see Christ, our righteousness, and we become just like Him in the sense of being sinless. But we are grateful that we can confess our inadequacy to you and know for certain that there is no condemnation for us if we are in Christ. And so we are glad and we are rejoicing. And Lord, I trust motivated. Motivated to express our gratitude to you by treating one another the way you would want us to treat one another. Help us to do this. Help us to do this in light of what you've done for us already. That Omaha, Nebraska would not be the same place. That the places where we work would not be the same. That our families, even this time of year, would not be the same. That Christ Jesus would be glorified and we would be demonstrating His kind of sacrificial love for His greater glory. Amen.